Hello, and welcome to the 20th episode of Wildfire Matters, the podcast that covers all aspects of wildfire fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who help manage and protect our public lands, many dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, I am back with Jennifer, as I'm back from Alaska. Yay. Yay. Jennifer and I are talking with Steve Shaw, Branch Chief of Preparedness and Suppression Support for BLM Fire at NIFC. He's also an incident commander for the Great Basin. Welcome, Steve. Thanks. Welcome, delighted, Steve. Delighted to be here. Oh, I'm glad you're delighted. I'm glad it's number 20 and not number 19. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 20. I was just going to say, that's pretty awesome. We're on 20. I know. We've made it this far. Yay. It's amazing. Uh, before we dive into all that you do now, tell us a little bit about your background and your career, like how you got started in Wildland Fire and why. Okay. Let's see. So... I started in 1996. I think talking about how many years people have in fire is, uh, is super lame. <laughs> um, and I don't like it when people, like, they get up in front of an audience and they start saying, like, I have 40 years in fire and by golly, you have to listen to me because I have 40 years in fire or whatever. So I've always, I've always kind of disliked that. So I just generally talk in years. Uh, so I started in 1996, which is a lot of years ago, unfortunately. Uh, my dad was a career forest service employee, uh, in a small town in Montana, Phillipsburg. And, uh, he worked, uh, his main job was, uh, he was a range con, but he did fire as a collateral duty, just like everybody did, I think in the nineties and eighties and however before. Um, and so he participated in fire at the local unit going out with, uh, pumper trucks and, uh, engines. And then he worked on an incident management team for, for a ton of years as a safety officer. Um, his whole network did fire his, all his friends did fire and it just seemed like a natural thing to do towards the end of high school. Everybody needs a summer job and, uh, the forest service was hiring seemed, yeah, a good summer job. In those days you filled out a, what, OF 612, you handed it to a person, which I did at the school administrative (laughs) office. And then like the next day the FMO calls and offers you a job. So it started in 96 and, uh, just like most people I think who get in this career really didn't know what you were getting yourself into. Uh, we didn't have the internet. We didn't know about all the locations. We didn't following national fires. We didn't, we didn't know, but um, I'm super thankful it was that simple and it worked out the way it did. Yeah, those are the handwritten ones. I yeah. mean, I still have mine. You look at yep. the cursive writing, like it's crazy, but yeah, handwritten applications, drop them off in person. Yeah, yeah, it was. Kids these days the don't know what we went through. This is true. Exactly. <laughs> So how about your current job? All right. So let's see. So the career, I guess, path, uh, I did the engine work in Montana for three summers, a little over while attending Montana State University. Uh, So did the education part, which I don't think I was very good at. And uh, then the fire part. And then starting in Montana, I don't feel like we had a ton of suppression activity, which was, which is okay because you don't know what you don't know. And when you're uh, first years in fire. Um, but we did a ton of prescribed fire and, uh, had some great leadership and made some great friends, but I felt like I always wanted to do a little bit more with fire and see fire. So progressed from engine crews. And then one of the few crews that had a website, um, in 1999, I decided I wanted to go be on a hotshot crew. And there was only a few crews that had, had websites. Uh, and one of them was diamond mountain and Susanville. It wasn't a great website, but it was a website. <laughs> in 1999 and got uh, your attention anyway. Yeah. yeah. At least, uh, at least it was a website and it told you how to apply and told you some expectations and, uh, applied out of the blue. Some people called back a few months later and offered a job and, uh, 
away I went to California. Uh, so spent 10 years in California on a hotshot crew. Started there as just a regular old, I guess I was a GS5 uh, when I started there, but as just a tool person. And uh, through 10 years, progressed and ended up leaving there in 2000, after the 2008 season as the superintendent. Uh, so progressed pretty quick through that organization. I was a superintendent, I think, at 28 years old, which I wouldn't recommend anybody. Um, <laughs> but I'm super, super thankful it worked out the way it did. Um, I had some great role models and great mentors. And I think in those jobs, you either decide you're either going to step up and do the job or you're going to expect someone else to come in and change things. And maybe that's not exactly what you want. So that's, that's how I got myself into that boat. After 2008 fire season, which was really challenging in California, it was a really long season. Uh, it started with a crazy lightning storm in, I think, like June 21st. And uh, the fire season was hard. There was a lot of really tragic events in 2008. Fires on the North Coast and in Northern California were brutal. And uh, I kind of decided I was ready to be done with California, not because of the fires or the people, but I wanted to be back closer to Montana to home. Applied for some jobs, uh, some positions, uh, and then ultimately an opportunity came up in Arizona at the Arizona State Office. I had a couple people, a couple uh, mentors, encouraged me to apply for the job and uh, got myself from a GS9 superintendent to a GS11, 12, whatever, state <laughs> assistant fire management officer. Um, again, not really knowing anything about what I was getting myself into. <laughs> so uh, moved at the worst time in the history of humankind to move uh, in 2009 from tiny Susanville to huge Phoenix and uh, had to short sell a house because it was the worst time to move in the history (laughs) of humankind. And uh, so I wasn't able to buy a new house in Phoenix and uh, went from working uh, by myself in an outstation basically to working in a high rise in downtown Phoenix. Right, That's right. Um, That state office. It's a huge difference. It was a big difference. It was a huge transition. But again, I guess back to that mentor thing and, and opportunity and people just telling you you have to go for it. And uh, also kind of just being, uh, you know, putting your faith in opportunity and, uh, and going for it. So three years I spent in that job in Phoenix, uh, working for BLM. I uh, worked for some instant management teams in the Southwest as well. I loved Arizona. I loved Phoenix. Um, the Southwest fire season is amazing. Uh, it starts early. There's a, I don't know, at least there used to be a pretty definitive end to the Southwest fire season. Maybe that's changing. Maybe we'll talk about that as we go on. And yeah, the opportunities, the people, the program size uh, made some amazing friends and some amazing opportunities. And uh, I think if a person had to go back and you, if you could redo things, maybe that's a job or a place I never would have left. But I spent three years there and then an opportunity, the same job uh, opened up in Idaho with the Idaho State Office. It was a natural progression to move to Idaho, get, get closer, closer to Montana. And I uh, was fortunate enough to get that job. Um, spent two years in that job in the Idaho State Office Golly, and then uh, an opportunity opened up with the job I just left in the Division of Fire Operations as a fire management specialist, Uh, and that job was working for Sean Cross, um, which was, back to the mentor thing, definitely a person who became a mentor and like a career person you want to uh, emulate and follow and just listen to talk. Um, Sean had a job open up and uh, had to jump at that opportunity, and through a whole bunch of different things, finally got that job. Uh, unfortunately, the day I got there, Sean also left except his new job uh, with NWCG. So I actually never got to work a day for Sean, even though uh, I was hired by Sean. So where did Sean work before? Sean was... He was uh, retired now. Yep. So Sean previously was the branch chief 
for fire operations. And so he was in that position in FA 300 division of fire operations for like almost from since inception, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, really him and, you know, like Tom Boatner, they really started to build the fire operations and added those fire management specialists, the red book, all those sort of things started kind of grew out of that, those ideas and that, uh, that leadership from the early two thousands. Uh, so spent from 2014 until gosh, just a few months ago in, uh, that job as a fire management specialist. And then current position is branch chief for preparedness and suppression support for, I don't know, four or five months now or something like that. And how do you like it? How does it compare to your, the last job? Uh, it's way different. It's uh, supervised now. So there's a (laughs) Um, lot to be said about a career. I mean, I think supervision is important and it, it teaches you a lot about humans and how to treat people and how not to treat people and about accountability, but it also takes up an immense amount of your time just because it's a supervisory position. Um, the amount of administrative trivia that we do is, is overwhelming. Uh, the amount of things I sign on a daily basis, <laughs> the amount of things we continue to implement that have to be signed, it's mind-boggling to me that how much time that takes. Um, but I really like getting back to where you kind of have that opportunity to give employees like intent and guidance and work in this collaborative fashion and, and brainstorm and, you know, try to see the end state and try to, you know, like glean the best ideas you can out of, out of your employees and then let them feed you. And then you try to advocate for them. And, um, so that part's been really fun. My new job duties, part of that includes national radio program manager, I guess, in some sort of title, (laughs) which that's a hard title because, um, certainly not an expert in radios or telecommunications or field communications. And then it also um, works with the Forest Service and uh, um, supervises and leads the national, um, the radio cache incident communications division. And then I also uh, supervise the BLM portion of the, of Nick. And uh, then I oversee, uh, we have veterans program and local cooperator assistance as well. So there's a ton of programs. There's a wide uh, r- repertoire of things, uh, <laughs> which makes every day interesting. The radio program stuff is interesting. Uh, it's hard to learn. And when you don't spend your career in a certain field and then you you kind of get delegated or blessed this authority to kind of help lead it, you really have to depend on the people below you. And uh, I'm blessed with a really fortunate, really awesome staff. And uh, the five folks in there, four or five now, uh, are absolute all-stars and nerds in radio communications <laughs> and uh it's fantastic i really love working with those folks that's an amazing program just going oh, yeah. there um, when we do nfc tours sometimes taking people through there it's amazing what they do yeah yeah the what parts and pieces there's so much of that goes on on campus and i think the fire environment is there's an under appreciation for how all the support stuff works as firefighters we're really good at understanding like our mission and our role and how we get to the fire and we depend so much on our on our, you know, our chainsaws and our hand tools and our buggies and our fire engines and our helicopters. And like, that's our world and, and rightfully so, but we forget and we, nobody really ever teaches us or takes the opportunity to train us on, gosh, all the other things that happen behind the scenes, like how you actually get, how something gets from A to B or how a radio um, gets approved or how it shows up from Boise to a large fire or, you know, how your caterer gets on a contract and then shows up to, to serve you food that may or may not be good food anyway, but <laughs> there's so much more behind the scenes that you really don't see until you um, have the opportunity to, you know, spend some time at NIFC and, and kind of see that interagency environment. Um, and I, don't, I, I guess I hope that's one place where we get better at teaching and mentoring and bringing people into our fold and, and kind of let them see how the, 
how the how the cheese is made because otherwise you just you just feel like Nipsey's in control of all these things and gosh darn it I'm real mad because Nipsey says we can't do something yeah. and it's like oh man that's that's just not how it works whatsoever. Yeah, there's For a sure. lot more to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing about that is the telecommunications piece. And I know dealing with the social media and telling that story sometimes with you guys, I mean, some of the stuff you guys, people don't know, like there's radio towers on mountaintops. So that is that critical link between the firefighter and the communication with people back in the office and the stuff that they do behind scenes on getting those up to date, refurbed and just is, is awesome. And so, yeah, people yeah. don't know any of those things. Well, so, even yeah. just getting frequencies. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, the, all that stuff. It's hard yeah. for them to get frequencies on fire sometimes and doing shopping around or, or who fixes your radio when you, sure. when it falls off your truck yep. and a dozer runs over it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Drop it in the toilet. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's, I think we forget there's like a, there's like as much as our, our firefighters love going out on fires and do awesome work. Like there's hundreds and probably thousands of support staff that do the same thing and they love sure. their jobs and they're dedicated to it and they have as much passion to like serve the firefighters and provide them tools and toys and gadgets. And, and they, they put as much pride in that as our firefighters do of going out each day and, and doing initial attack or extended attack. And sometimes those two things don't mesh up and we don't, we forget to give credit to both sides. Yeah. And just supplying the firefighters saw that in Alaska, they, what a great fire warehouse cache they have up there. And then ours here too at NFC Great Basin, but there are 16 nationally yep. that are all providing the same service and, these guys work their butts off. They do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly not just one, one piece that makes it all work. Yeah. We've had tours where people will come through and go, we didn't even know any of this existed, right. that these behind the scenes and that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, these people are working just as long as the firefighters too, to get them the, what they need. So yeah. Shout yeah. out to the support personnel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit about supporting large fire incidents as an IC. How did you get into that? Uh, let's see. So so being an instant commander, I don't think, I don't think it's anything if, like if I filled out a IDP or whatever, my, you know, my job and my Individual career, development. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like what we're all supposed to do and nobody does. Uh, <laughs> it never would have said like, I want to be a, a type two incident commander or anything like that. And so a current role, I'm a incident commander for Great Basin Team 4. And uh, right now that's a type two team and we're all transitioning to complex incident management team. So I've uh, hopefully, I just want to talk about things as complex incident management, at least with my team and within the Great Basin and going forward. Uh, so the job there, the role there, I spend a good chunk of my day, or maybe that's not totally true. Some days I spend a good chunk of my day <laughs> trying to beg, borrow, sometimes lie, whatever it takes to get people to be on an incident management team. <laughs> It's not a full-time job, but it's, it's a lot of time job. Um, I think our team currently has around 75 people on it, give or take. Um, everybody's always moving in parts and pieces and new jobs and new bosses who change their minds or whatever. But so you're continually trying to update and keep those people either somewhat committed or on slower years, like entertained and, and, you know, don't, don't give up on us. Like, <laughs> I've it's, been a recipient of your you have. begging. Yeah, it <laughs> yes. was awesome. Yeah, we, had, we, a all have. we had a yes. great time in Montana, yes. right? It was a it was a wonderful fire. Yes. It was a little chilly, but uh, yes. a little smoky. But yeah, it's a it's a full time job. I think uh, how I got into it, I worked after leaving the hotshot career, and then worked with uh, in the Southwest. Worked with the Type Two Incident Management Team, the Central West Zone Team, which it, it used to be a Central West Zone Team. Now it's just some number. I don't know which number it is anymore. <laughs> And had a great exposure to teams in that environment from Clay Templin was the IC and B-Day and 
Jeff Andrews, some amazing people on the, that were ops and IC and we had great fires, never any in Arizona. They were always in New Mexico, which was weird, but since we were the central West Arizona team, <laughs> uh, but we always went to New Mexico, at least the short time I was there and, uh, really developed a, I guess a love for incident management. And it's kind of a way I think everybody honestly should do it. I think it's a way you stay connected. It's easy to get disconnected from the actual field and the operations and the challenges when you get to a, a management or an office job and it's easy just to do nine to five and, you know, read the sit report or whatever. And you're like, Oh, cool. I'm going to go home now and, you know, go swimming. <laughs> uh, and so for me, it was just a way to stay connected, especially leaving a hotshot career where it's, it's in your, you know, it's in your blood and your that becomes part of you. So when I came to the great basin, uh, had support from my bosses to continue the work and went out with a couple different teams and never really found like my team, I guess. And then got to go out with Team Four, which used to be um, it was Tom Suen, and then it was John Kidd. John Kidd was the IC at the time, and uh, got invited out there to do some trainee work. Uh, it was the early days of the Great Basin's Priority Trainee Program, and uh, that team was awesome. And fell in love with it, and uh, did a good enough job to get invited back. Uh, John and the other ops folks asked me to come back and be trainee and do operations, and. Uh, just that was in 2013 and just um yeah fell in fell in love with those people and uh team works so hard but also just has a ton of fun just like professional to the end but also a bit immature like when it's <laughs> when it's necessary and that's I think that's important yeah and then uh yeah I just progressed through ops a bunch of years and then at some point you start to see that either like the same with the hotshot you're either gonna have to move up or someone else is gonna move up and maybe be in charge of things and not do things the way you think they should be done. And, um, that kind of became the same with the team and, uh, Tim Rohde, um, well, after John was, uh, Chris Wilcox and then Tim Rohde, uh, Tim Rohde did six years and then five or six. And then, uh, it became apparent that somebody was going to take over for Tim. <laughs> he wasn't staying forever. And so I decided that was, uh, yeah. And through some mentoring again, a lot of talking with Tim, that that would be the right, right path. And, trained with a different team in 2020, which was COVID. And, uh, yeah, I don't even want to talk. We don't even talk about <laughs> no, that, but no, yeah, went and trained with uh, great basin team seven with Jeff Knutson and, uh, uh, learned a ton from Jeff, managed some super fun fires and, uh, then took over as it, I came back to team four in 2021 as a deputy and then took over officially as I see last year in 2022. And now waiting for a fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think, yeah, that whole conversation is hard because we, people never wish bad things upon other right. people. We never wish for there to be fires. We don't want people to suffer and we don't want, you know, land to be lost and resources. Um, and then you balance that with, with what your career is and what you're, you know, there's going to be fires and you know, you're always, you're, you're always on the edge of, you know, should I pack things or should I be in sales service? And and that's not, that's from all of our firefighters. They never know, you know, you're, you're on a day off, but are you really on a day right. off? Um, should I take my cell phone and what if dispatch calls me? And so, yeah, so like you're waiting for a fire, but also from, from my mind and my life now, like it's a slow start has been okay, especially with a new job and, you know, some other pieces in life. It's been, it's been just fine. Uh, we know fires are going to happen and, uh, yeah, you just keep telling people when, when the time comes, we'll let you know and we'll respond together. Well, this year it's been fortunate for many firefighters to be able to go to Canada to help them when they really needed people too. We've had people available to send. So yeah, we've had a, we've had a ton so far Yeah, and it's a good, it's a good opportunity. And I think it's different than what we're used to is what I keep hearing from folks when they come back. 
uh, I think we, as an incident management team, I would love to take like the whole team, Yeah. but we've also talked that we as a, you know, a 65 person complex incident management team, any team would overwhelm <laughs> the way, you know, business occurs in, in Canada and Instant management teams were very needy. You both know that. <laughs> yes. And uh, talk we, about supervising right. people. I was yeah. say. <laughs> we we roll in hot and we need we need things and we need them now. And yes. uh, to not have those things would be hard. And yeah. I don't know if we'd break the system. And I don't know if we'd be able to manage. You know, without some of those things, I think we would. But yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a different perspective. Yeah. I took um, was an instant management team in Australia, and it's just a whole yeah different perspective. Learning, you learn new things and the way of life, but. Yeah, it's and we only went with six. And that was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm and I don't, I don't like the idea of, uh, you know, you do a lot of brokering, like I mentioned, to, to get people to commit to your team. And it's hard; it would be hard for me to then say like, I'm only going to take eight people. <laughs> yeah, or we're going to go to you know wherever in Canada and do whatever we're going to do. Sorry, we'll see you in a few weeks. And I feel like that's kind of a hard message. I know everybody would understand on the team, but I also. I do this for my team and to be with, you know, to work with, work with, with the team and not just yeah. some of the team. And do you have a time frame that you're committed to, to be a, an IC? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends who you ask. Like if you <laughs> ask, uh, my boss or if you ask Kate, but, uh, the commitment is supposed to be three years. So this would be year two for me. And three years feels about right. Honestly. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a big commitment when you're X amount of years into your fire career and fire seasons, you've, you've given up a lot of your summer for the job. And, uh, when you're, when you're doing that job, it doesn't really matter what job you're in. If you're deploying, you're giving up a lot of other things on the side and you, we all know this in this room and I still love going on fires, but I'm also, I'll also be fine not going on fires if that makes sense. So three years feels about right. I don't, no, like my total glide path retirement. But if I could keep doing it after the three years and like a deputy role, and I'd probably be all right with that too. I think with teams, we do a really poor job about training our replacements because we're really ownership. We take all this ownership of our position and we're certain that we're the best in that position that we've, you know, it's ever done it. And it's just not true. Um, and the day we forget to like bring people along with us and promote them and push them into the next position, the day you know, when it's, t when you decide you want to be done with your job, there's no one to come behind you because you, you know, you didn't, you didn't bring somebody along with you. So I think that's one of my goals, uh, having a trainee this year. And that's always been something with team four is like, yeah, you're, you know, you're good at your job, but we're ready to replace you and not because you're like, don't take that the wrong way, but <laughs> yeah. we're always ready to replace you. And that, that has to happen with incident management teams. Does the team have a rotation that you guys have a set rotation? Yeah. So the Great Basin, um, I, super cool thing with the Great Basin, the type two teams, which this will be the last year of it. I have no idea how it looks in 2024, waiting to see or waiting to find mm. out probably this fall, but the Great Basin type two teams have been on a two week, um, rotation. So you're up for two weeks and then you're off. You have three weeks before your next rotation. So if, if you just do the math, like if you go out the first day of your rotation and you're out for 14 days and, you know, throw some travel on the end in the beginning, you would still have a couple weeks down. Uh, if you go out the last day of your rotation, then your days down are you're pretty limited. But that has been a huge benefit for me just when life and career and being able to enjoy the summer a little bit, enjoying, you know, buy an RV or whatever and go camping and when it's not uh, under uh, fire restrictions that you impose <laughs> on us. But yeah, the, the rotations, I think we're all interested how it looks in 2024 with complex incident management teams fully implemented, what, what our rotations will be and 
you know, there's a lot of, a lot of groups that are in charge of trying to figure that stuff out. And I trust them to hopefully make good decisions and give us good guidance about where we'll, we'll be trying to balance the, the life, the life work thing. And nobody, nobody wants to be on call all summer long, uh, whether you're on a hotshot crew or whatever it is, it's, we're changing from that. And I'm, I'm glad we're changing from some of that. Yeah. It's been difficult. I think the last few years when we've just been having a lot of fire activity and people are just rolling from fire to fire yeah. and it's, it's very uh, taxing on people yeah. and yeah. their personal lives and just their jobs too. Yeah. So they do have jobs they have to do as well. Yeah, it is taxing and it's taxing for the, um, the home unit from mm-hmm. the family unit. It's taxing from the folks that are out doing it, our firefighters who are out, you know, earning a wage and trying to support their families. A lot of times we, we were all there. We feel like we need to keep going out because we see, we see the benefit of going out of financial benefit and trying to bring that along to where, yeah, there's always going to be this financial benefit, but trying to, trying to make those wages be a little bit better commiserate with the work that's being performed and hopefully give people a quality of life and not just a career, um, I think has, has been the goal. And boy, that's been harder. That's, that's a, a giant, a giant ball to try to tackle. Yeah, it is. And with this complex instant management team, hopefully that'll help relieve some of that too with people, because I know it's been hard to get people to commit to teams because of the time commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will. I think it's going to take some years though. I think it's going to take, I mean, I think people in our, we really want thing changed when we see change, we, we expect it to be like fast and immediate and that's not the way government works. So I think we'll see the benefits of it down the road. I'm personally excited for, you know, type one and type two to not be a topic anymore. And that's not like an ego thing. That's a logic thing. Teams are teams. And um, I'm excited for us to, to, you know, when a fire exceeds whatever initial attack and extended attack and our type three teams feel like they're at a place they need to, you know, or the units asking for additional help that they just order an incident management team and incident management teams are not all created equal. I don't never, I would never advocate for that, um, on at least on operational implementation. Um, but they should be. And I think that's really our goal is to get them all to where they're a single place. That's going to take some time for sure. So where do you think we're heading with wildfire management nationally? Let's see. That's a great question. I think it's never, I heard, uh, somebody say like, it's never been more exciting time to be in fire management. And I think part of that is really true because it's, there's, there is so much change on the horizon. And, um, I think change isn't happening as fast as a lot of people would like it, especially, you know, the, the real vocal passionate, you know, the, the folks that are, are convinced that someone's holding them back from, you know, and, and like forcing them to be in this job and there's no other choice. And, and I get a little frustrated with some of that, some of that language or the, the social media boards or whatever. And, but I think it is an exciting time to be in this job because we do have like this movement of, of youth and of also of like some folks who have retired and are pushing us on to, to find change and see that there is a, maybe a, bit, a better way to approach wildland fire and management and that it's not just a seasonal career and we don't just need you for four months and we're not just going to ask you to go out and break your back and then, you know, throw you to the curbs. I think we've done, there's been some movements like just in taking care of firefighters through my career has been, uh, the change that we're seeing now, I think is, is monumental. The work with OWCP to provide some, hopefully at least a little bit of backup for injuries or maybe even lifelong illness has been, been a huge change. Uh, we all have our experiences with OWCP and those challenges and like even getting, you know, getting a prescription paid for, oh my gosh, was for like poison oak was 
like 83 phone calls. Well, and I don't California, think California, you're dealing with a lot. of Right. That, yeah. Scars to prove it. <laughs> but I don't think we'll ever totally get past that. But we are seeing changes. And that's from advocacy from the leadership and from, you know, folks gr- groups working behind the scenes. And then also from our firefighters, like telling their stories and being vocal. So I think that's super exciting. Uh, I think the pay work and the new series is exciting. Trying to be all behind it and 100%. I think I still have as many questions as anybody else does. I mean, just to see implementation and how it's all going to work. I know it's not solving all our problems, and I know it's not going to make everything better overnight. Uh, but I hope it does get us on the train to eventually the places we think we'll, we can better retain and better recruit and uh, um, have more people for our fire trucks and our crews and our incident management teams and our management. I think these longer fire seasons are our thing. I know in my career, the fire season's changed. Fires are, for whatever reason, they're more difficult now. They're longer. And some of that's self-imposed, like our management style. And that's the agency's path. You know, whether we go on a, a large fire and we don't take any action for 14 days and we just we just monitor or we do work 15 miles away from the fire, which can be super frustrating. That's the path we're on. And we kind of all know those roles and we, we accept those roles. So I don't totally know as far, I guess, as as uh, the longer fire season and how it fits in, but I think it, it wouldn't be truthful to say that the fire season isn't isn't something that it wasn't, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. The f- number of times I've heard in the last few years, and I heard uh, one of the Cal Fire captains and said this on some stuff talking about the campfire in, uh, in California about the number of times it had been mentioned uh, that I've never seen that in my career before. I've never seen that happen in my career before. And I think when you ha- do your career long enough, eventually you start to say, well, like, I feel like I've seen a lot of things in my career and we experience a lot of good and a lot of bad. But I, I think that is true that we're starting to see things like, oh my gosh, like I can't, this is really, really, really quite amazing that this fire is still <laughs> yeah. burning or it's this big yeah. or it's, you know, it's burning this far overnight or there's that many people when they're at, at, you know, they're seemingly having no effect whatsoever on the fire. So I think we need to be better prepared and align ourselves with the changing fire season, um, with the changing you know fire year, and how that makes us fit with people and how much they can be gone and how much they want to be gone and how much we ask them to be gone. I think we're doing better now at recognizing the talent of younger firefighters, um, which I think is awesome. There's not now this hierarchy of like, you have to be an FMO. You were never an FMO. You can't ever go to that job because you didn't do that. And I think we're getting better at recognizing like, yeah, like that person, you know, maybe they, maybe their job was a, you know, they were on an engine for a couple of decades, but man, they have a lot of talent. We really need to grab that person. Like we'll find a way to make it happen. And I think we're getting a little bit better at that. Um, I'm not being quite so boxed in. Let's see some other fire management stuff. I think we still have a ton of miles to go to understand how we work better with our interagency partners. We're very territorial and uh, rightfully so. I think like we're all convinced we do things better. And I think on the BLM side, we do some things absolutely better for our fires and our country. And, but I also think the public really doesn't care what kind of fire engine <laughs> shows up. Right. And yeah, just uh, as long as one's there yeah, right. or where the line is, yeah. they have no yeah. idea. The mission yeah. is the mission. And, uh, I think we need to get better at, you know, like on preparedness reviews when we talk to the engine captains about how they have no issue working with their fish and wildlife service counterpart and they love working with them and they know everything about, and they know the tactics and they can show up and they go right to work. But Sometimes when that gets pushed up into our, our leadership or our interagency groups, it's like, oh my gosh, like, no, we can't do that. It's, I can't even pay you. Like, I don't even know how to pay you to do that. 
we're like, holy cow, like, that's really a barrier. That's and the we barrier. Work for the same right. department. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we have a ton of work to do on that. And I think that's just some, you know, a lot of times I think just sitting down at the same table and sometimes starting with your differences. Uh, I'd see that happen at NIFSI a lot. I haven't seen it happen as much the last few years, but because we're all, we were all teleworking or whatever. But I think sometimes you have to put your pride away and just be willing to sit down at the table with your, you know, counterpart and, and listen to their story and understand their shoes a little bit. And then you're willing to say like, yeah, let's actually find a solution. And I think we have a long ways to go on that. Well, some things we've seen in the, in the West here too, is I know when I was working at the Boise district, you have issues with your ranchers and people that live out in these areas that can respond to fires very quickly. And we were having issues with them fighting fire and we fighting fire, not being able to communicate and created this whole big problem. But then it's like, okay, well, how do you solve the problem? Right. Create real fire protection, protection yeah. associations and you train with them right. and you work with them and you give them communication equipment. And yep. now you're working together and now you have people that can be there hours sometimes before a fire engine can. Yep. And so, yeah, things like that. Yeah, we've. I think we're we're making strides, and I feel like a lot of that stuff just starts with like one bad idea, <laughs> or and, ba- uh, one bad situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know maybe it's even like uh, whatever on a bar napkin and over beer or whatever, and people are like, what if we just got the ranchers to go to the fire? And like I definitely wasn't like behind that. Like, yeah, 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 I was. Yeah. Da- I, I was in Idaho at the state office times. Like I don't. I'm from a ranching family and uh, I was like, I don't know if that's the best idea or not, but as it turned out, yeah, it's worked great. And I think the training that the local units are doing with the ranchers and with that community is, is what's making it successful. We're not just giving them some tools, some radios and a fire truck and be like, go do, go put out the fire when you see it, we're working together. And the effort is like, is that collaborative effort? And it's like, when you see a fire, let us know, here's some things you can do to get started and then we'll work together once we get there. And I think we are seeing it pay off, especially in these, in, you know, in the desert field types. And when the Cowboys are out, you know, on the, on the land, they know so well and they see or the lightning, it's, they know yeah. the weather patterns better than we do. They know what's going on. Oh yeah. And, and they're going to be out there ways. moving their cattle anyways yeah. Yeah. and calling us. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think it's gone both ways. It seems like those relationships in, in Boise and Twin Falls and Idaho Falls and in Eastern Oregon are, I don't think we would ever say they're not sometimes stressed because that, that wouldn't be the reality. But I think you at least see, you, we see progress and we see communication and we see common t- tactical terms about, you know, dispatch or initial attack or a tactical channel or air tanker or whatever it is. And I think, uh, yeah, one bad idea leads to, <laughs> leads to a program and, and here we are. I think so too. Like when you're talking about the communities or even just people when you're like the fire keeps going and going, I think that's one thing too, is taking the time to educate them. I think, you know, as being on some management team, like you're rolling into Sam and Idaho and you know, the smoke and fires are impacting these communities and they just want to hear like what's happening or even just understanding, Oh, there's smoke in the air. We can't launch our aircraft because it's too smoky and this is why. So just taking like stepping back, I think, and taking the time to educate them on why and the process doesn't take a lot of effort or a lot of time, but it will definitely take, give you strides of being in that community and, and having them understand. So sometimes too, like when you're agreeing with that, like, just take the time, take a minute, yeah. take a breath, sit down, have a cup of coffee with them at the yeah. coffee shop and educate them why. So sometimes I think we're just so much in a hurry. We have to do this. We have to do this. Yeah. We have to do this. We just need to stop yeah. and think about that. And so that's, that's what I always think about when I go into communities. Like how would my parents feel if they're being impacted with smoke? Talk to them like my parents. Yeah. yeah being honest with the communities is, is huge there. There's no secrets. Sometimes we're guided by the agencies and our, who we're working for on what we can say and what can, and that gets frustrating. But 
yeah, spending some time with somebody makes a ton of difference and even taking them out, you know, close to the fire and, you know, not having a community meeting just to have a community meeting, yeah. but having it for a role and, you know, letting people actually ask questions and, and trying to dispel the myths and the social media and actually tell them why we didn't fly our tankers, like you yep. mentioned, or, and that does go a long ways. And then I think a lot about how we leave those, those communities, you know, we're there for two weeks or 14 days. And then the local firefighters and the local fire units is there to deal with the aftermath. And if you leave it, you know, in a bad state, like it, the local unit has to deal with that for a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. And so like with our team, our goal is just what you said is like to leave it a little bit better than we found yep. it. Always agreed. So what do you see as some challenges we face for the future? I see a lot of challenges. I was reading through these questions and thinking about like uh, how how much some people like change, like myself, and love to see change and a little bit of chaos and like the daily life because it because <laughs> it's what makes life interesting. Um, and then I think about fire service, and so um, Dave Haston, a, a force service counterpart, always uses the quote of the fire service: "A um, hundred years of uh, uh, tradition in, unimpeded by progress." And I think that's so true of us a lot of times and because we know the challenges and we see them, but we're really hesitant a lot of times to change. And I think that goes back to like sitting down at the table with your counterparts and just putting it all out there and be like, what are our challenges and how are we going to get past these things? Things I see, I see the longer fire season as being a certain challenge. And that's that's a challenge because of the work, that life work balance that we want. Um, it's also a challenge of like wanting to be a fire service person and help the public and like really how much of that can a human do in a summer? Like, is it feasible to ask people to go be gone from their families for 200 days? Probably not good for your body. It's probably not good for your lungs. It's probably not good for your relationships. Your dog is going to forget who you are. Uh, we don't, that's really not the goal. So how do we really staff appropriately for these longer fire seasons? I think telling our story, Jennifer, you mentioned a little bit of that is always a challenge. We don't focus on the good stuff we do. Uh, we're really good at talking about the bad stuff we do. But there's 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 all this good stuff our firefighters do and our managers do on a daily basis. Like they're out in the communities, they're doing these incredible PT things. They're uh, they're the team working. They're doing good stuff over and over and over. Or even like a great day on a fire, or a good catch, or a big burnout, or like some awesome mobile attack, or a uh, the helicopter crew that comes in and you know puts out the singer like or the smoke jumpers, whatever it is. Like we don't, we don't do a great job at showcasing that stuff. And that's the stuff, a challenge that we've self-imposed by, you know, as soon as we have like an engine accident or something, a burnover, like we're, it's all over the news and it's like, Oh my gosh, we have to have investigations and plans and we're going to prevent this. And, but when we do good stuff, you know, it's, Maybe we'll get a BLM daily piece yeah. or something, maybe, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I also think that's a challenge because our firefighters are super humble and uh, they don't expect that sort of limelight and most of them don't want it. They don't want to be, <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to talk about me for the good work I did. But if you force them into that, you both know as PIOs that once you get people to open up a little bit and you like actually give them the credit they deserve for the work they do, like they want to talk about it and they want, you know, they want to be proud for the people that they were leading. And I think that's a challenge of getting away from being so negative and talking about the benefits and the work and the good stuff and the hardships. And you can just be honest about it. Like, yeah, today sucked. Like today was awful. <laughs> like we lost the line. Uh, some of our gear got burned over. Uh, I had an argument with whatever division supervisor, uh, I had an argument with my wife and today sucked. And we can be honest about those hardships and talk about them and, you know, it just leads us going forward and see other challenges. I think we're always going to be challenged by pay, by retention, by recruitment. 
I don't have answers to any of that stuff. I don't think money is the answer. Um, that's easy to say, you know, with uh, the current whatever grades people are in, but I don't think money brings happiness. I think there's a fine line in there somewhere, but that's always going to be a challenge. Well, truly people want to, I mean, if you want to do this work, you want to do this work. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, people people are passionate. We'll talk to them on interviews when we finally do get them to interview with us and they they're passionate about their job they love it they yeah. love working for the blm they love you know working with their people but yeah that's, it's not for everybody yeah, it's, not yeah, for everyone. it's definitely not and there's 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 challenges there's a lot of things you're never told about when you sign up for this job there's a lot of pieces you never are explained and there's a lot of really good things that part of a career that no one ever talks to you about the pieces you get as a federal employee and the fire service with retirement are fabulous. You know, and like my position, if you're in a firefighter covered position and you know, you can legitimately retire before age 50 with incredible benefits. And that depends on what great, what <laughs> positions you're in. Yeah. Faces you're making. Uh, some, some have it, but I nobody, have it. no one explains that stuff to you yeah. early on. Right. And it, there's a difference between retiring at one GS level and a different, like we recognize that, but no one ever in your first few years is a, like, if you, you stay in a primary position, you know, or a secondary position for 25 years and you get your appointment when you're 20, like you can retire when you're 45 and no one has that yeah, conversation. But in your you. 20s, you think, oh my God, that's right. forever long. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your parents are like, you need to get health insurance right. and retirement yeah. and all this stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I just barely turned enough to go to the bar, right. let alone <laughs> trying to worry about yep. retirement. Yeah. yeah. And it's somewhere in your, I don't know, somewhere in your career, some supervisors find like, hey, have you ever gotten retirement training? And you're yeah. like, what? You're, like, you're like the what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I know I have a TSP, but I don't know what it does. Yeah, should, should I be yeah. moving things around? What's yeah. happening? Yeah, no one. We don't. We don't provide that training for uh, them no, at it's, all. And it's hard to find. And I think some like our benefits branch has gotten better about mm-hmm. providing that information. But there's still a ton of myths about what firefighter retirement is or what isn't um, about healthcare and about Social Security and about being a primary and secondary positions. And I think some of the seri- the new four, five, six firefighter series helps with some of that, a little tiny bit maybe. But I think we just have to get better about educating and being good supervisors and mentors. And, and you know, and every time you put on the table something really challenging about this career, because they're, they're, they're plenty. Um, you also, I think on the other side, need to talk about like some of the positives as well. And it doesn't mean that cancels out the negative whatsoever. But um, as you balance the balance the teeter-totter and try to say if this is the right path for me, maybe some of those things on the right side do cancel out the left side a little bit. So what advice would you give people then looking for a career in wildfire after that? Let's see advice. So I always like to think about how I feel like I've been successful in my career and the advice I got from other people. And I don't feel like in wildland fire management, we're recreating anything on any day. I think going to fire is the same today is I love looking at those old pictures from like, there was one on social media of like a guy getting some tools out of a a warehouse the other day, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, he's getting a Plasky and and some sort of, you know, whatever used to be a bladder bag. And that's basically the same stuff we're still doing. Uh, maybe we get there a little bit different way or through airplanes or helicopters or super nice trucks. But the mission is still basically the same, especially on the BLM side. And um, I think from a BLM person, I'm super proud of that. I think our firefighters are, I think the training that um, they provide each other, that we provide them, the tools they have, the equipment they have is really, there's always a room for improvement, but I think it's pretty darn good. And I think in return, like our firefighters are really darn good at putting out fire. 
And, uh, and I also just, I think the, the enjoyment, the passion, the smiles you see from when someone does, it has an awesome day is, is great. And I think like that advice is like, enjoy those moments and let those be better than like the days, the crappy day, because there's crappy days. And, uh, when you're in this job, you know, long enough, like you have really, really bad days and where you lose friends or you lose people and, uh, or, you know, for whatever else. And so you, the advice is you need to focus on those better days. And if you're letting the worst days like run your life or rule your life, or those are the days you focus on, you probably aren't in the right place. Other advice, like I think is find mentors, good mentors, mentors that are willing to like give you truthful feedback and are willing to advocate for you and are willing to recognize like loyalty and are willing to tell you, Hey, you're doing a great job or also to tell you you're being an idiot. And, uh, I'm, been blessed with those mentors. Um, I think from like my dad in the fire service and then just as a dad and an awesome dad is one. I think, uh, I mentioned Sean Cross as a mentor was super instrumental. And then Kurt LaRue from, uh, who hired me on the hotshot crew. Everybody knows about Kurt. I remember Kurt. Yeah. You either love Kurt or you hate him. Uh, fortunately I, I love Kurt. Um, and, uh, to me, there's not a, like, as far as like a fire operational mind and brilliant firefighter and just like leader and human, yeah, Kurt's like, you know, the pedestal, wherever pedestals are, he's, he's certainly on it. Um, I wouldn't always emulate his like <laughs> style, style of always talking <laughs> to people or, and he, uh, yeah, like we all, we don't, yeah, we don't need to tell Kurt stories, but <laughs> yeah, like some of that I didn't take away, but maybe I learned that maybe there was a better way to do it and always, you know, hanging out with Kurt afterwards. There's, there was always that talk. So find mentors. And like, if one doesn't come to you, like you have to go find people that'll help guide you through this career. Cause we've talked about, no one tells you what to do or like, Hey, I was thinking about applying for this job in Phoenix. And so, you know, most people are like, that's don't ever don't do that. <laughs> and then, you know, like Kurt and Sean are like, yeah, like it's an amazing opportunity and yeah, you don't know what you're doing, but like you either do it or you don't, or someone else will. Um, so mentors and like engage them and as fire managers at NIFC, we, we need to be willing to engage, find people. Like when you find that person that you want to take your shoes or be in your job, like you, you owe it to them to go out and mentor them and like bring them along with you and give them opportunities and don't be afraid to share information with them. We do so much holding of information at NIFC, like, oh my gosh, something <laughs> happened and we have this little text string and we're only, we only shared in our little text string. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's already out there. It's like, we're, we think we're so secret, right? And 90% of the stuff that happens that we think we only have the details on, like I, from my network on the other side, like I'm getting texts from, you know, like a random air attack, like asking questions about it. How'd you know about this? Like, duh, like there's no secrets here. Yeah. 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 Like as soon as things happen. um, With social media and just, oh yeah. So we're so connected. Yeah. Yeah, Which is a great thing most of the time. So that advice of mentors, I think is a huge one. And then also like mentors can be bad. And I think I've learned and taken more lessons from people in my life that were maybe thought they were my mentors and were really, really bad at their job. And I'm not going to like talk about <laughs> names in this, but cause that's probably my perception or maybe just my opinion. But I took as much from that as like, uh, that's, I see how you do it and I think it's bad and I'm not going to do it that way. And I'm going to do it this way. And maybe, um, maybe it won't be awesome either, but I can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if you give people an opportunity to be like, let them grow and let them prosper. Um, yeah, I think it, you, like you can, you know, you put a little water, little water on the seed and, and whatever. And then eventually the seed like gets bigger than you are. And, <laughs> um, I see that now with like some of the people in our program of just how brilliant they are and the good ideas and, 
we don't know our own lifespan in these jobs. Like, I think we know it, but we're also kind of afraid to talk about it. Gosh, what other advice? I think the day, I mean, this job for me has always been fun and it's, it's fun because of the people I work with. It's not always fun because of the things that our government or our job or our employer asks us to do, but it's fun because of like, you you can make a difference. You can make a decent living some days, not always. You get to travel a lot. Uh, you get a lot of opportunity to, you know, hike at this random trail in this random place that mm-hmm. 99.9% of, you know, even that state's population is never even going to mm-hmm. visit. And now all of a sudden you either walked there or you flew there and all of a sudden you're by this pristine lake and you're just like, you know, you take those moments for granted. And so you, you have to find the fun and, and don't let the negative stuff like rule you. It's, it's good to talk about the negative stuff and, and own up to it and acknowledge it, but don't let it rule you. Cause if it rules you, it like, you know, we know stress, like stress is really bad for yeah. you. And maybe it's bad as smoke, maybe not, but um, yeah, I think that's, that's my advice is that's probably the most important stuff. All right. Before we close out, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think the fire career, like you, when you have the opportunity to back to the mentoring a little bit, I remember most vividly like fire of like listening to leaders talk and people who I respected so much. And I think I generally would be like a considered an introvert person. And I don't, but like when you're in the fire ground and the leadership roles, like you have to force yourself into that like extrovert, like force yourself into conversations, not just to talk to hear yourself talk, but like to be leadership and like learn from people. And I think without um, forcing yourself into those conversations and being willing to take that next step. um, And sometimes there's challenges to always take that next step, whether it's like the cost of housing or being able to relocate because I don't have health or uh, I don't have kid care or my family's here to help me or whatever. Like those are, those are, those are real life things, but we also need to be better about um, finding those opportunities to make people mobile and bring them into the fold because like there's a million good ideas how to make fire management better but a lot of times people get stymied by being at that whatever crew leader position and either don't want to be a supervisor so what position do you do if you want to promote and not be a supervisor like there's they don't exist really right so do you guys know shopify the company so online like they they make it's a seller's market so people sign up to sell through them kind of like whatever the other company is that you make your little store on there and they help you sell your products anyway. (laughs) uh, So this, this Shopify guy uh, put out this interview last week and he talked about how, well, one, they've done away with meetings. Um, They call it chaos monkey. And uh, (laughs) they've done away with meetings of over three people, especially on Wednesdays, which I think is brilliant. Um, And we all can understand why that Um, and then, but they, he talked a lot about how to promote people for their skills and not needing them to manage, which I think is, uh, something which is like Alaska does it awesome, right? The, the, um, fire specialists, Mm -hmm. they're a group of like total rad Rambo people who can go out (laughs) and do amazing, like ton of skill set. but on the day job they can, and they can promote a little bit, but they don't have to be in charge of 30 people or 20 people or whatever (laughs) on a daily basis and approve, spend the day approving, concur, or... <laughs> Timesheets. Timesheets. Yeah. But there's not an avenue for that. So we you can't get to be an 11, a 12, a 13, and make, and still be involved without now taking on supervision. And supervision's not for everybody. And so, you know, it's a thing on my to-do list or whatever that I want to work with, and I think some groups have been working on. 
and then back to that mentor piece, like if you have the opportunity to go meet or be around people like that are in your, your path, like for me, like the first hot shop meeting I went to in Reno and Greg Overacker was there and he talked about, there was, you know, a bunch of real smart people there, you know, talking about how teams should manage risk or whatever. And Greg was talking about, it's not the team's job to manage risk. Like it's my job to manage risk as a superintendent. Um, like I'll determine when it's safe and it's not like, I don't, I don't need you to do that. Like that's my skill set, and that's what I'm here for. And just listening to him talk and talking about, you know, who makes policy and who doesn't and, you know, Stan Stewart and, and getting to hear a little bit of like Mark Lenane and some of those folks that like guide your career. And, you know, I've seen more fire than anybody on the face of the earth. Maybe, I don't know, <laughs> um, at least, at least in our fire services. So when you have those opportunities and, um, you can learn from somebody, even if they didn't invite you to be, you know, you're not there to learn from them or whatever, but take those opportunities and push yourself and get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us today for the 20th episode of Wildfire Matters and taking the time to explain what you do in wildland fire management yeah. and the advice you had for yeah. folks out there. I thought it was good, the mentoring. Yeah. That's a really good advice for anybody and in any job, actually. And um, yeah, thank you for being here. Yeah. Do you guys remember uh, we did that hiring fair podcast or video like a year ago? I don't know what it was for. It was on Zoom and we did this random hiring. Oh, the BLM Fire podcast or um, webinar. Yeah. Yeah. And we had like random people on there to learn about fire management and we were having technical difficulties like with sharing it with the chat. Yeah. And so I just wrote on a piece of paper. <laughs> That's right. My email <laughs> and I wrote it backwards because I was trying to think about how it looks on the camera and my email and my phone number. And I bet at least, I don't know, once a month, I still get a random like email from someone in Indiana, like, Hey, I remember I wrote down your number cause you told me to, and I'm interested in getting a fire job. Can you help me out? And That's awesome. Yeah. So it's super rewarding to yeah, at least think you're doing a little bit of good somewhere along the way. But. All right. Well, you might get more yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Like yeah, I just we'll forwarded on to email out there. Yeah. For I just for, yeah. You can put it, totally put it down. I just forward it to other people. So. <laughs> like, I actually can't help you, but I know a lot of people that can a lot of people. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks Steve for um, joining us today. And it's, it's great. I, and one of the things I was going to say is our wildland fire community is, is awesome. We're supportive no matter what you're having a good day, you're having a bad day. Um, people were surrounded by people that are amazing that take the time to just reach out no matter what it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for, for that today. Yeah. Thank you. To learn more about NIFSI or the BLM, please visit our website at www.nifsi.gov. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting the nifsi.gov website and scroll down to the contact us. Use wildfire matter podcasts in the subject line. And remember to follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you all for listening. Please join us next time when we spark a conversation with a panel of subject matter experts to discuss a new wildland firefighter position, which Steve kind of mentioned a little bit today. Until, Until then, then, stay, stay safe, safe and be wildfire aware. aware.